You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Hello everybody, my name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you are listening to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of our favorite movies, the ones you are nostalgic about, the ones you watched growing up and you love them so much. We watch them objectively. We let you know, are these movies actually any good or are you blinded by nostalgia? This week we watched 1994's family comedy, The Flintstones. <laughs> Yabba dabba doo. The Flintstones. And you did my job for me, Zach. That's the tagline. Yabba dabba doo. <laughs> oh my God, Brandon. Oh, uh, gosh. I do want to mention once again that this is the first time me realizing that this goddamn show and movie, this property was called The Flintstones. I again went most of my life thinking this was The Flintstones and maybe just not pronouncing that extra T. And, but. and how you missed... The fact that it was a rock pun is beyond me of because course. there is that's that's all this show and movie are. <laughs> you only got one rock pun in the name already. I didn't know they were going for two. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. But yes, uh, the movie, in case you hadn't seen it, is of course based on the 1960s animated television series of the same name. Zach, I was a big fan of this show growing up. Not so much the movie. I believe I only saw this once, maybe on television, from what I'm trying to recall, my very first uh, encounter with this film. And again, one and only, have not seen it since. So we often say on the show, I haven't seen it in 20 years. I guarantee I have not seen this movie in in at least 20 years in its entirety until uh, a few nights ago. And wow, I have thoughts, Zach. Yeah, Um, me too. Uh, I... I definitely felt the waves of nostalgia watching this movie. I don't know if I was really ready for what was to come in the next 90 minutes. It's technically the first live action film based on a Hanna-Barbera cartoon because we then got uh, Josie and the Pussycats. We got the two Scooby-Doo movies. We got Yogi Bear. And then I think it was like, what, last year, the year before that, we got that awful Tom and Jerry flick, which I never got around to seeing, but... uh, Yeah, we've already done the first Scooby-Doo, and I think when we did that episode, we really also mentioned how difficult it is to really adapt one of these cartoons specifically. Any cartoon, in my opinion, but specifically these these style of cartoons. The Flintstones, in particular, like the Jetsons, which was, I guess, the future Flintstones. Do you remember them? Because the Flintstones is essentially the honeymooners in animated form. It's just, you know, your basic sitcom, (laughs) but with rock buns. I, I don't know how... How fondly remembered this film is amongst our generation. And if it is, I just feel like it's one of those similar to like a Look Who's Talking where they just don't talk about it that often. I don't hear people reference this film or see it brought up nearly ever. However, it was a massive success back in the day, so much so that I just genuinely didn't understand what a box office hit and uh, cultural significant moment this movie was back in 1994. It was an easy one for parents to go to, and I think it drew the attention of boomers who probably grew up watching that. Yeah, it's funny how that was, the, with the release of this film in 94 was about 30 years since the original show had debuted, so you had the nostalgia of those parents bringing their kids to that, and now we are 30 years removed from this film, just about, and so now it's fun to look at, <laughs> really, how the nostalgia for this film differs from those who had the nostalgia in the first place for the original animated series. But yeah, 
what a strange movie, man. I can't wait to get into this one because it is a bizarre one. It's bizarre, but is it bad? We don't know, Brandon. Stay tuned for the end of the episode. Yeah, stay tuned. So it is directed by Brian Levant, who we've covered on the show here before with uh, Jingle All the Way, which he made the very next year. <laughs> what a talent. Yeah. He also brought us Problem Child 2, Beethoven, Snow Dogs, Are We There Yet? Uh, the Spy Next Door, A Christmas Story 2, and his most recent theatrical release, I believe, was Max 2, White House Hero. That is a lethal filmography. <laughs> For sure, it is rough, and a bunch of them that we need to cover on this show. Snow Dogs, dude, stay tuned. Are we there yet, bro? Oh, man, I hate it. Are we there yet so much? But the Flintstones, the movie here, cost $46 million to make. It earned $130 million in the U.S. and a whopping $341 million worldwide. Huge success. It was the fifth on the U.S. box office charts in 94, surpassed only by Forrest Gump, The Lion King, True Lies, and a previous episode, The Santa Claus. Beat Pulp Fiction. Tarantino's <laughs> The Flintstones? Better movie. Yeah, people cared more about The Flintstones in 94 than Pulp Fiction. It's a fact. Yeah. So it opened at number one um, at the end of May, ahead of Maverick uh, and Beverly Hills Cop 3, I believe in their second weekends there. Uh, $37 million it made during its four-day Memorial Day opening weekend in 94, which was a then record gross for the Memorial Day weekend. This was a box office record holder for a while there. Zach. Unbelievable. Breaking records. And you compare it now to the movies that hold the box office records now. <laughs> yeah. It's like Batman literally just came out and made $130 million and we're like, oh, it did okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking insane. Um, but as we mentioned, uh, not, not necessarily beloved by audiences or critics, despite the huge uh, box office success. It has a 4.9 on IMDb and a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes with a uh, critic's consensus that reads, The Flintstones wastes beloved source material and imaginative production design on a tepid script that plunks Bedrock's favorite, favorite family into a cynical story awash with lame puns. All right. Okay. We'll get into it. Yeah. It did make a few worst of the year lists, um, and it did win a few Razzies, uh, two specifically, one for worst screenplay and one for worst supporting actress, uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Haven't gotten into the cast of this film yet, but it is a pretty... Pretty stacked one. It's a stacked cast. I mean, John Goodman, Rosie O'Donnell, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, a lot of people I loved back in the 90s, still love today. Uh, and this was a role, specifically Fred Flintstone, uh, that a lot of actors were considered for. You got all of your you know 90s beloved favorites in here. You got John Candy, Jim Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, all considered for that role. However, I do believe because this is a film that was executive produced by Steven Spielberg, uh, Spielberg had his mind set on John Goodman after their work together on uh, Always, and I think they fucking nailed Fred Flintstone. John Goodman is crushing this role. <laughs> Rick Moranis, apparently not too many people considered for that role. I guess the only other uh, major name was Danny DeVito. <laughs> and I'm trying to picture Danny DeVito next to John Goodman, and John Goodman seems to really be doing the mimic of the character in the cartoon. And while I think Rick Moranis does kind of go for the aloof kind of schlubby nature of Barney Rubble, he doesn't quite capture it. I think that like Fred, like uh, John Goodman does, but again, I, I like what he's doing here. Again, Rick Moranis, such a good sight to see on, on screen. And so he's a welcomed presence. I just was happy to see him. So I didn't really care, but if you go back and watch that cartoon, Barney is, is very like deep voiced and like, like luggish almost and i just don't really get that out of 
Rick Moranis. He's trying with the voice. He does the, <laughs> okay, Fred, like that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know who I would have cast, though. I think it's a really tough role to cast. It is. And I was thinking if this movie gets, or this property, rather, gets rebooted here in, in uh, 2022, who you'd cast. Because I feel like they'd just go the sexy, popular route, and it wouldn't actually deal with anything to really do with what those characters look like or anything. It'd be fucking yeah. Ryan Reynolds and yeah. Chris Pratt up there. Chris Hemsworth. Oh, my God. <laughs> it would absolutely be fucking Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, man. He gets either role, yeah. As fucking Fred Flintstone. <laughs> It's, like, not even a question. The guy's playing fucking Mario. Well, that's because of his Italian heritage, Dak. Yeah, because <laughs> he sounds exactly like a very well-established animated character. You know, this could be a Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle situation where we shit on it all the way up to release, and then after we watch it, we're like, well, goddammit, it actually was kind of fun. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even imagine that that's go- what's going to happen. What but... world would we live in if the Super Mario's uh, animated movie's good one? I hope it is. I doubt it will be. I doubt it will be. I, but you're right. I, you know what? We, it is well documented on this podcast that we were shitting all over Jumanji, <laughs> the new Jumanji movie before it came out. And goddamn it, a year later, we were eating those words. Yeah. And we'll eat them if it's good. We'll eat them if it's good. We'll eat them if it's good, but I don't think so. Mark it down. Um, Elizabeth Perkins was cast as uh, Wilma, another role that uh, was. Has a few actresses considered Gina Davis, Faith Ford, Catherine O'Hara. I think Elizabeth Perkins is doing pretty good with this work. And, and around the time of this, she was obviously pretty big for, um, yeah, well, in big. Yeah, that's where I, I remembered her from anyway. Yeah. And then, of course, she got Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. I, I don't know if it's Razzie Award worthy, but it's not great. <laughs> uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. That's, again, sure. In the 90s? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Is she Betty Rubble? It's... Not for me to say, Brandon. I didn't cast the movie. And uh, there was, of course, a prequel released in 2000, a good six years after the fact, uh, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. The original main cast, of course, did not reprise their characters. Um, I believe we got Stephen Baldwin and Mark Addy playing Barney and Fred. <sighs> it just sounds awful. Stephen Baldwin's <laughs> Fred Flintstone. No, he's, yeah, he's actually God. Barney from what I remember. And then Mark Addy, of course, from, you know, Oh, Night's he Tale. is? Yes, yeah, he's the one playing. Oh, yeah, Mark uh, Addy, duh, yep, yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. Still standing, of course. Um, yeah, you know what, yeah, Mark that, Addy? Good, Mark Addy's fine. a good Fred yeah. Flintstone. We yeah. all like Mark, Mark Addy. We're positive. We're a pro-Mark Addy podcast. We are. Um, I, I just feel like that one is just too late, too little too late for a prequel film to this. And, uh, you know, switching up the cast like that is uh, just reprehensible. I completely understand why John Goodman and Rick Moranis wouldn't want to come back to this in uh, 2000. No, especially after the way it got critically panned. Yeah. Again, made them money, though. They got checks. Yeah. Uh, There was also a video game based on the film released on the Game Boy, Super Nintendo, Entertainment System, and Sega Channel in both 94 and 95, respectively. And, yeah, it was uh, rated PG for innuendo and brief language. Quite a bit of sex jokes in this PG-rated film, I will say. Yeah, I mean, it, a common theme on this movie whenever we do children's movies that they're, we we often come back and see it from an adult perspective now, and we're just we just talk about how like I don't don't remember this being as dirty as it was, and this movie is at the top of that tier. <laughs> there are some nasty things going on in this movie. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a dirty one. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, anything you wanted to mention, Zach, before we started, before we got into the plot here? Um, no. 
Well, let's do it, man. Uh, I don't feel good at the opening seconds of the film when the first credit I see is a Steven Spielrock presents. <sighs> Setting me on edge. Don't you know? We often suggest drinking games on this show. I, I, I'm actually going to do the opposite. Do not drink every time you hear a rock pun in this movie, because <laughs> I mean, by the by the end of the first act, you're done. Yeah, that is a straight up irresponsible endeavor if you chose to do a drinking game with the rock puns. We we officially legal disclaimer do not endorse a Flintstones <laughs> drinking exactly. game. Not condoning that here. Uh, we do. I don't we think see a we, ton of cavemen. By the way, there was something I wanted to get into before we got into the plot. Oh. I don't think we really touch on the cultural significance of this show in general because, yeah, you had the cartoon, yeah, you had the movie, and apparently a video game, but you also had cereal. Yeah, Fruity Pebbles. I mean, still have cereal. The Fruity Pebbles, Cocoa Pebbles, uh, Vitamins, I, they, and then just all over the place. I feel like they were also in a bunch of commercials that had nothing to do with their own product. I'm reasonably sure they had cigarette commercials or tie-ins, which is insane to me but i'm something, almost <laughs> something ridiculous like that so i i think it only makes sense that they make a movie for this but i don't think we really get the sort of impact of the flintstones that we had as a kid today because now i think kids watch a movie like this and they just think is that the guy on the the cover of the Cocoa Pebbles box? Yes. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, how often these shows are rerunning, or if they're on Cartoon Network anymore. I, I still believe that kids have some sort of cultural reference for Scooby-Doo, as we mentioned earlier. I mean, that movie just got another remake or reboot a few years ago. Yeah, they keep rebooting Scooby-Doo, both the cartoons and the movies. Yep. I, I think they come out with a new series like every five years of, of Scooby-Doo. But I don't think they've ever done a remake of the Flintstones and again, because I just don't think it maybe hits culturally significant anymore with the Atomic Family yeah. setting and that kind of stuff. I do know there was some sort of WWE animated special with the Flintstones. So when you get John Cena involved, what? yeah, there's some sort of like direct. Because again, Scooby-Doo does this too, where there's like a, every five years, there's some sort of animated sports tie-in that they do that they throw on the shelves of walmart that no one i guess i guess someone's watching but i don't know either way they did do something like that with the flintstones uh you know a few years ago and i found that a bit interesting but yeah as far as that other than that rather i don't know how in tune kids are with the flintstones at all today if, if at all so yeah i feel like this movie if you have no <laughs> reference for the show just starting this movie you're gonna feel like you're on a fucking lsd trip because it's out of it's out of this world yeah it really is okay we can get into the plot now i'm sorry that was something that i really wanted to talk about last time no good call um but we do start off in bedrock which is this of course prehistoric suburb if you're unfamiliar with the show basically the premise is it's just a parallel modern day stone age world so you know we've got they don't have quite the technology we have. Their cars are, you no. know, pedaled by feet. They've established a society where there's both capitalism and uh, embezzlement laws. <laughs> exactly, but no paper. Because that drives the entire fucking plot of the movie. Which is so bizarre. That's not what I think of when I think of the Flintstones. No. But, it, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess it makes sense. It is It is a very, you know, 60s sort of setting, I guess. <laughs> Sure, sure. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, but yeah, they speak like we do. Ton of historical anachronisms and, and as we mentioned, rock puns. But bedrock, full of working class families. 
as well as sleazy businessmen. The first person we're really introduced to is uh, the new vice president of Slate and Co., where Barney and Fred work. That is uh, Cliff Vandercave, played by Twin Peaks, Kyle MacLachlan. <laughs> the names in this. The, you know, <laughs> there's there's obviously a bunch of established characters from the cartoon, that, and they all yeah. have rock names and stuff, Mr. Slate and... And the Rubbles and the Flintstones, but the made-up names are so over the top because there's Cliff Vandercave, yeah, which is obviously stupid, and his uh, associate, his partner in crime, if you will, Sharon Stone. <laughs> Played by Halle Berry in one of her, you know, earlier film roles. Uh, they did, of course, offer the role of the sexy secretary to Sharon Stone, thinking that'd be fucking hilarious. Which, yeah, hey, which they would have would have got a laugh yeah, out of me. Right. Yeah, I would have. She did sadly turn it down. But um, yeah, Cliff and Sharon are planning to uh, scheme this company out of its fortune. Um, they're looking for some poor working schmuck to pin it all on. So they're going to try to promote someone to be the new uh, vice president of this company. And then um, sort of just embezzle all the funds underneath their nose and then blame it on them. Get out of town. I love me some Kyle MacLachlan whenever he shows up in a movie. It's rare. And uh, no matter the role, he's always putting his all in it. And he's just one of those few performers that can play, you know, the aloof kind of or like who's one of the few character actors that can play, you know, the stoic, sexy type. Or here he's playing this fucking insane over the top villain. He's he's one of my favorite actors. I really do. I love him because he's, you know, in real life, such a nice guy. But he's so versatile as an actor. You obviously mentioned him in Twin Peaks. He's the mayor in Portlandia, which if you haven't seen that show, go check that out. It's fucking hilarious. Um, and he's uh, he he plays Paul Atreides in the original Dune movie, too. I mean, oh, I'm, that's right. Yeah, he's in a ton of David Lynch stuff. Blue yeah, Velvet. Yeah, yeah, him yeah, and yeah. David Lynch are, are pretty inter- intertwined, which is great. Um, because I think he just fits into literally anything David Lynch wants him to do. Um, so he's he truly is one of my favorite actors, and I was so stoked because I'd completely forgotten that he was in this movie. And so when his name shows up in the credits, I like kind of peed myself a little bit. Well, it's uh, time to go home from work, so we get the sort of uh, recreation of the title sequence of the show. We get the theme song and everything. It kind of fires me up. I gotta admit that even like haven't not having seen the show and so in decades, and same with this movie, really not remembering any of it. Just to again, if you have any sort of reference for this show, you'll immediately pick up on what they're doing. And it's pretty because it's so faithful. You kind of get a smile. It's like, yeah, this is what it would look like, I guess, in live action. This movie does such a good job at staying faithful to the source material. I mean, almost to it to, to a fault to some degrees, but it it really, I I feel like we see so many of these movies that are based off of a book or a show, specifically cartoons that kind of throw away the source material and just say, well, he can't really do that in a movie. They don't. They give it everything in this movie. They try their damned fucking hardest to <laughs> to give you everything you loved about the cartoon and put it into this movie, down to his fucking dumbass bowling routine and the, <laughs> the, the twinkle toes and yeah. credits. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, they they really go all out. And does it work all the time? No, but I appreciate it as a viewer. Yeah, and I, that, that's, that's the thing. If you're a fan of the show, I can't imagine you leaving all that disappointed, really, because other than maybe the main plot being kind of strange for a Flintstones movie, I think everything around it is kind of yeah. nailing it on the, on the head. It's straight yeah. fan service. 
I think it fits in now better than it did in 94 because we didn't like that as much. Now everything's fucking fan service or all these big popular movies are anyway. You know what I mean? I feel like this fits yeah. right at home in 2022. And I can't wait for the Hanna-Barra Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yeah, man. The HBCU. <laughs> Jabberjaw in there, whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah. Yeah, Jabber, Captain Caveman, oh, Josie and the Pussycats. Yogi Bear, bring him back too. Yeah, absolutely. Yogi I'm Bear, down for this yeah. Avengers I mean, it's all going to be great. I'd watch them beat the shit out of a purple guy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just picturing like uh, Yo- <laughs> Yogi. Was it Bobo? Who's this little fucking companion? I just picture him like Bobo. wiping away in dust. Yeah, <laughs> getting dusted. Yogi, what's <laughs> happening? Oh no, Bobo. <laughs> I'm, feeling really, I'm feeling really strange, Mr. Bear. Yeah. We need a picnic basket. Ah, uh, shit. So we meet up with Barney and um, Fred on their way home from work. Fred has lent Barney some money, a uh, very generous donation, and so he can buy a kid. <laughs> He's basically going to be adopting uh, a child, a little boy, wants to carry on the rubble name, and he wasn't able to do so, so Fred generously donated the money for him to do this. And uh, didn't tell his wife, though, did not tell Wilma. We get the uh, recreation of the Wilma, I'm home bit. And, yeah, as he comes home from work, we got Dino, the pet dinosaur, who's like their dog in this world, uh, charging at Fred, knocking him down, slobbering all over him. Like other male dogs, threatened with having his testicles removed, and he's not happy about that. Yeah, which we need to talk about the CGI in this movie for a little bit. It doesn't necessarily hold up in terms of good-looking CGI, but because this is a cartoon movie, I think it works rather well. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't it doesn't look good, but for the standard they're going for and just based on how fucking ridiculous the set is and everything going on around them, I think it fits in really well. Agreed. I, I mean, this is the year after Jurassic Park where those effects were right. really starting to be perfected for the first time. And I feel like other productions just didn't have resources, the talent to really pull that off as well as that team did. Even though they specifically had Spielberg for this. Exactly. But but I will say, the sets in this fucking movie are insanity. I mean, and in a good way. I am majorly yeah. impressed by the sets in this movie. No Oscar love for the production design on this film. And, Unbelievable. Yeah, robbed. <laughs> genuinely, I say that kind of like half-jokingly, but also... Looking at the work that's on screen here, it's genuinely staggering the amount of attention to detail they put into all these stupid businesses and these houses. Again, they really try to make... It's shot in the middle of absolutely nowhere desert, and they had to build all this fucking shit. It took months, I was reading, and... Ah, good God, I do not envy them. I don't think I am even half-joking when I say they should have at least gotten a nomination for set design. I mean, it's... It's crazy. It, it really is the attention to detail and the amount of world building they do just making all this weird, stupid, like practically Venn diagram-esque technology for these for these cavemen sets. Like I remember Kyle MacLachlan at one point has a gun and it's just like basically three slingshots on top of a thing. <laughs> and I just remember being fascinated by that because... It, yeah. It's hard to like just come up with something off the top of your head that not only works as a visual gag, but is also like, you know, actually functional. Functional, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the props in this movie are out of out of this world as well. I, again, I really hand it to the the set design, all that, all those people really crushing their job. Even the uh, special effects. Again, it's not great. I do believe I read somewhere that this was the first time any CGI uh, furry animal was was put on screen. I, their saber-toothed mm. tiger, I believe, pet there. 
um, who's only in a couple of shots. I think this is the first time they ever actually had to animate computer-generated imagery anyway to actually create this sort of char- character. It doesn't I mean, look there's great. A re- there's a reason the Sabertooth Tiger is only in literally two shots. <laughs> and it's the same shot. Yeah. Uh, but most of these uh, dinosaurs and shit are, you know, puppets, these big animatronics. And those look good. Those, you know, are, again, fit into the world. Uh, this weird kind of yeah, heightened reality. And so you just sort of buy it. Even when you notice the CGI, you just sort of buy it. Because as you said, the standard that they've set and what they're going for, it all fits together. But Wilma is played, as we said, by Elizabeth Perkins. She's pretty pissed because she went to the bank to get some money from the savings account for a new garbage disposal. Um, dude, this fucking pig puppet. I, this, yeah, this running gag may be my favorite in the whole movie. And it's a garbage disposal. It's just this gross little pig who sits underneath the fucking sink, eating everything that comes out. And it's it's broken at this point. So she went. To, she wanted to go buy a new one. Found out that uh, you know a lot of their savings is gone because Fred had given it to Barney to buy Bam Bam <laughs> to, to support an adoption. <laughs> yeah, to buy a child. <laughs> so he gets all pissed off. Like you shouldn't have done that. This this one's fine. And he goes and he shoves his hand into this pig puppet, yanks out like a I don't know a fork or something, and then the pig's all good. <laughs> But yeah. the way this pig is screaming Disgusting. while he's shoving his hand inside it, it is it it would haunt my nightmares if I remembered this as a nightmare kid. Nightmare yeah. yeah. I I you know I, there is a scene that we'll get to eventually that I remember hearing, <laughs> not not seen hearing when I while I was rewatching it, and just it triggered a wave of emotions for me. <laughs> it is so good. I can't wait to get to that. Um. But just, yeah, remember that pig puppet. But all is well. You know, he smooths it over. He tells him what the money was used for. And uh, Wilma finds it super sweet, honestly, um, that he'd help his friend out in that way. So they even accompany the Rubbles to the adoption agency when they are there to meet their new son, Bam Bam, who, if you remember from the show, pretty much carries a club. He just says Bam Bam, and he's super strong. And they... (laughs) they translate that exactly as is on the screen here. Kid does a great job saying Bam Bam. Yeah, just walking around smashing people in the shin and shit with a club saying Bam Bam. That's this whole character. And he's super strong. They uh, clean him up. Barney and Betty get uh, cut his hair. They attempt to train him um, over the course of uh, this sort of montage. You know, Zach, whole lot of montaging in this movie. If you do want to play a Flintstones drinking game, you can go ahead and drink anytime there's a montage. Yeah, sure. You'll get a good four or five drinks in. Yeah. I, I feel as though this is also just trying to condense a bunch of like hits from the shows like fan favorite moments that you've seen throughout the series they're just sort of recreating in live action without any sort of like you know trajectory of the plot this doesn't feed into the story really at all it's just sort of again more fan service it does it does feel a lot like you know we built the set we let's show it off (laughs) exactly yeah and i'm i'm kind of okay with it because again this movie's really lackadaisical like especially for the first like half i'd say until they get to the aptitude test there's really not much going on other than just kind of setting up this world. It almost feels like an A plot and a B plot to a degree. Mm. It, it feels like an episode of The Simpsons where they start off with, you know, a plot that's five minutes long that just kind of sets up the second half of the whole episode. Sure. It's very formulaic. And it's weird that it, because you don't see that often in movies. Normally it's just one cohesive plot. But this one really, it, it is about the rebels adopting a wild child and then it becomes this whole scheme of embezzling and it it, it turns into a bit of craziness but it, it is strange how it just feels like almost two different movies for a while yeah cuz we get the you know they're trying to faithfully recreate the whole bowling league bit um and just this set here this 
bowling alley. The amount of crazy shit that's just there. There's a fucking like lobster crab creature that's collecting the pins. There's a frog that breathes on your fingertips so that they're dry when you go to, you know, throw the ball. I, I just, yeah, there's just so such attention to detail. And the fact that they're like, you know, we're actually going to make this fucking frog puppet. <laughs> like, you don't need that. It's in there for a shot. You don't need that at all. Yeah, I would have. I would have moved on with my life had that frog <laughs> puppet blowing on his hand not been there but you know what god damn it i remembered it yeah very obvious puppetry but i appreciated it nonetheless um but after fred has won the game uh he's celebrated namely by barney who has this like poem prepared and everything this sort of speech that brings fred to tears uh basically thanking him for all he's done and that you know some way somehow i will pay you back but when Fred gets home that night, he is startled by his mother-in-law. We got Pearl Slaghoople, played by uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Sadly, in her final theatrical film appearance, she didn't pass after this role. However, she did pass on Hollywood <laughs> after this. Uh, this was her final uh, big screen performance. And, you know, some, sometimes screen legends go out on a, <laughs> on a weird one. You know, we got Raul Julia going out on Street Fighter, and Elizabeth Taylor goes out on uh, The Flintstones. But she's basically there to, uh, I don't know, emasculate Fred, you know, he, for not being suc as successful as she would want the husband of her daughter to be. And then he's just basically threatening to beat her up this whole time. There's a lot of honeymooners, like, if you weren't a man, I'd <laughs> type lines and like, oh, guys trying to, he's like, where's my club type deal? It's like, oh, boy. Uh, because of this, you know, emasculation, Fred decides, you know, I really want to change this. I want to be successful and be the best I can be. And so he decides to jump at an opportunity presented at work the next day. And this is where the plot sort of gets into motion. Uh, this is where Kyle MacLachlan has set up an aptitude test so that uh, basically to allow all these working Joes the chance to become an executive of Slayton Co. But we know as the audience, this is all part of his scheme. But Fred sees this as his moment to sort of, you know, seize the day type deal. So. The only problem is Fred's fucking dumb. He's an idiot. And I don't remember from the show if he was always more dumb than Barney or if Barney was the dumb one. I think just for the sake of this movie, they reversed it. Yeah, so Barney realizes as he's like passing the tests in that Fred, all of Fred's answers are pretty much wrong. So he uses this as the opportunity to pay Fred back for all he's done for him. And he swaps their tests, puts his name on Fred's and Fred's name on his. And uh, because of this, Fred gets the highest and Barney gets the lowest scores, even though technically their, their tests were swapped. But Fred gets the job, receives the promotion, complete with all the executive perks, such as a luxurious office and Sharon Stone appointed as his secretary. We mentioned some of the sexy jokes at the beginning of this movie. I Frankly, I feel like Halle Berry's too sexy for this movie. This family's film? Yikes. Can you explain the dicta bird? Yeah, it's voiced by Harvey Corman uh, from, you know, from like Blazing Cat, uh, Saddles and Carol Burnett show. I think he even actually did a voice back on the original show. But yeah, kind of a funny bit that does turn into something uh, far more important, more important than I thought it'd be anyway. But to test Fred's sort of willingness to comply, to follow orders, Cliff demands that he fire Barney. And if he doesn't do so, he's also fired. So, huh. He has to go, he, when he goes home, there's this big, like, welcome home congratulations party. And, you know, Barney's there trying to give him, like, a rock suitcase, right? <laughs> okay, I, I have to admit something to you. <laughs> My fat-ass <laughs> child brain thought it was, like, a weird cake. A weird grain green cake. But <laughs> mm, I can't understand. There's a handle on it, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking want to eat that suitcase, though. That suitcase looks fucking delicious. 
Oh, that's great. But yeah, very embarrassingly, uh, Barty is fired. Uh, yeah, he's canned. Uh, he hit rock bottom. Oh, fuck me. So Wilma convinces Fred to have the Rubbles come stay with them because they can't afford their house anymore. Despite Halle Berry being very flirtatious, Fred does remain faithful to Wilma, even telling her the story of how he and Wilma first met, which sounds disgusting because I guess she was working at like some sort of all-you-can-eat contest and she was the one who had to come clean him up. <laughs> how does that make a good first impression on a woman? Eh, caveman days, you know, different, different time. <laughs> However, Fred's job and newfound wealth eventually starts to hinder his relationships with Wilma and the Rubbles. He just kind of turns into a bit of a dick. Um, and this is, again, where I kind of understand the critics' consensus there on Rotten Tomatoes, where this takes a very strange turn into, yeah, just him being sort of an uppity like aristocrat or trying to be. And because Kyle MacLachlan really wants to sell the fact that, you know, he's truly embezzling, he sort of nudges him in the direction of buying all this shit he doesn't need and spending all this money, essentially. He even uh, tricks Fred, really, into dismissing the other workers. So there's this whole bit where he forces them, essentially, to sign all of these papers. He thinks that he's giving them, what, like, time off, right? But they're essentially pink slips. So he hands them a bunch of documents and says, oh, well, it's time to give your worker friends down there some much-needed time off. And Fred sees that as, right. oh, like, vacation. I'm approving vacation hours. And But he's signing pink slips or pink rocks. And by signing, we mean chiseling, because again, no paper. Everything's done on like slate tabs. Yeah. So he's building an assembly line that is going to make essentially all the workers, all the work that they do, everything obsolete. Barney, meanwhile, has been hopping from job to job. <laughs> One of the jobs is like he's a gas station attendant. And in this world, because they don't use actual fuel it's their feet, so he just, like, washes people's feet as they come up. To the, Disgusting. To the station. It's so gross, yeah. If you are not oh. a fan of feet, this movie is not for you. Not for you, yeah. Oh, boy. But he does eventually also get a job as a busboy, and wouldn't you know it, it's the restaurant where the Rubbles are supposed to be meeting the Flintstones for this sort of, like, celebratory dinner. <laughs> so he comes out all ashamed and embarrassed to, like, clean up their table. Uh, very sad moment. But he does witness on the news there that all of the workers there Cave asleep. Go, Cave News Network, of course, CNN. Um, all the workers are, like, rioting in the streets. Again, they have television and cameras. They don't have to pay for her money. It's just it's so stupid. Whatever. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, at the, so there's this whole blow-up scene at the restaurant yeah. where, uh, you know, after Barney has seen the news, kind of has this whole confrontation with Fred. Eventually punches him because he's sick of his shit. You know what I mean? He's like, you fired all our friends and all this shit. Like, you're terrible. And he finally does confess about the whole uh, test swap thing. Um, further, just kind of twisting the knife in Fred that he's a fucking idiot. I did the job. You know what I mean? I, I deserve that. And that's when the rubbles move out. You know, Wilma gets pissed. Uh, just starts breaking shit around the place, all the stuff that they bought. She's realizing that it's, you know, all this money has sort of turned them into snobby chose. Oh, I did get a laugh out of this when she is going around the house just sort of breaking stuff. Uh, you know, Fred, he's like, you're going to feel, he tells her she's like foolish for overreacting. He's like, it's going to take you hours to clean this up. Oh, man. The like, misogyny in this movie is. Oh, gosh. But Fred goes back to the quarry, uh, discovers Cliff's pan, uh, plan, and tries getting Mr. Slate, like the head of the company, to fire Cliff. However, there's just too much evidence you know, linking Fred to the embezzlement uh, that he's fired as well. 
Everything looks like he stole the money. Cliff's reported him to the police. So Fred like flees. There's this manhunt that <laughs> ensues, I guess, where the police and the workers are all searching for him. He's, he's walking around with a fake beard and mustache. <laughs> Dude, and this is the part that we, we hinted at earlier. This like this oh is like a God. homeless okay. encampment, essentially, right? I was going to say, do you want me to tell it? Oh, because please do, it, yeah. Yeah, so he's walking around in this weird homeless encampment where all the workers are. And I don't know why he goes here, other than it might be one of the last places that the police would look for him. I, very bizarre. But anyway, he's walking around and... You know, among all these unemployed cavemen is the fucking garbage disposal that he got rid of, that fat pig puppet. (laughs) And his beard falls off, and the pig puppet recognizes him and lets out the most ear-piercing scream. I I mean, just, that was, it gave me actual goosebumps watching it and hearing this pig puppet scream, Flat stop! Like, I can't even do it. <laughs> no, I'm going to lay it in. I'm, gonna I'm definitely going to lay it in here. Yeah. yeah, put it in. Put it in. Let's go! Let's go! Get in! Blow out my mic if I do it. it. I mean, it is, and it, it's what I remember as a kid because I think it's the scariest thing in this movie. I, it, I think that that scene in itself scared me more than anything in Jurassic Park. <laughs> he got a huge laugh out of me. Oh man, this big. Oh, it's fucking. It's so yeah. funny now. It's so fucking funny, and the fact that his his garbage disposal, which is the scent, you know. The joke is that all the animals are essentially just equip like home equipment and and office tools. <laughs> the fact that it's it's sitting at a homeless en- encampment with a sign that says "We'll work." They're <laughs> looking for work. <laughs> <laughs> it it makes it simultaneously hilarious and also just fucking dark. <laughs> yes, well that got me thinking of like yeah, what happens to all of these animals that no longer work? Yeah. They're out of a job. (laughs) Well, Wilma and Betty see this on the news as well, and they know that, you know, Fred didn't do this. They break into Slate and Co. to get the dicta bird because their uh, idea is that, you know, this, like, tape-recording bird's the only one who can really prove um, his innocence, the only one that can clear Fred's name. Um, Unaware, I guess, that Cliff saw them from the office window, so he's now also in pursuit. By the way, Zach, uh, there is a fart sound in this scene. I'm glad you brought this up. Yes, okay. I do yeah. believe that it's not a genuine bird fart. I believe no, it's I think the bird it blowing a raspberry. a raspberry. Yes, okay, raspberry. Yep. Um, because the puppet doesn't have much manipulation in its beak or mouth, it's hard to actually gauge whether or not it was a true raspberry or fart, but I will, I, I think the judge's order should decree that it is a, indeed a raspberry. So I was excited, less excited. Yeah, no fart joke, and which also means astonishingly, because I don't know how you go through an entire movie about a fat caveman without a single <laughs> fart joke, but astonishingly, not a single fart joke. Not even a dinosaur fart. No, dinosaur farts. No, yeah, exactly. One the dinosaur dog. poop joke. One disgusting dinosaur poop joke. Oh, can when you the pterodactyl me? Yeah. is flying oh, yep. around what looks like just 20 tons of cement on a car. It's supposed to be a bird poop joke. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> horrifying and disgusting. But, uh, yeah. yeah, again... NBD consensus, no fart joke, 0%. Brandon, your thoughts? 
um, when uh, I guess Barney shows up after the uh, homeless encampment, sort of like taken Fred prisoner, and they plan on hanging him. Right? There's like a lynch mob. Yeah, plan on killing him. Yeah, he starts a frenzy, so they bring him to like the town square to kill him, and uh, that's when Barney shows up. Now is a snow cone truck driver. Or whatever. <laughs> Again, I love his jobs that keep switching. Wait, he's a, yeah, he's had so many weird fucking jobs in this movie. And the time span of things, like, within a within days, you can lose your house. Like, there's no, again, I guess the system they have set up here is, like, if you don't pay daily, I don't know, then you're yeah, out. No fucking clue. How, <laughs> how in debt are these people? Yeah, I, I was going to say, maybe it's a, a, a commentary on how close we all are to the poverty line, you know? One bad check, one missing check, and you're done. Don't I fucking know it. Oh, don't we all, man? It's a sad, sad world out there. Um, Gas is $5. Oh, God. Rather, yeah, I'm going to have to start pedaling to work. Yeah. Good. So Wilma, Betty, and the Dicta Bird show up just in the nick of time to uh, save Fred. Also Barney, because at this point, you know, Barney and Fred have sort of a heart-to-heart where he forgives Fred, and because they realize that they're friends, they just like, well, we're going to kill you too. <laughs> God. Try to hang him as well. And um, Wilma tells the workers that Fred was framed by Cliff, um, and they basically force the dick to bird to prove it. But in order to do so, the bird wants an apology from Fred. <laughs> There's this whole back and forth before he finally spits one out. And uh, yeah, this bird is becoming integral to the plot. And I just didn't didn't expect <laughs> it throughout the whole movie and didn't need it. Um, because, yeah, he, he basically then tells all the kids to like, all right, everyone sit or all the workers like sit down. I'm going to tell you a tale of mystery or whatever. He goes yeah. through this long convoluted tale of how Fred uh, is innocent. Let's yes. see. But when they come back home uh, from the unsuccessful lynching, they find their house was ransacked. Uh, Dino, Pearl are tied up and Pebbles and Bam Bam are just straight up gone. Um, they do find a note from Cliff saying that he will trade the children for the Dicta bird. Um, so to meet them at the quarry. So that's where they go with the bird. Cliff's got uh, pebbles and Bam Bam tied up to some huge machine um, looking to kill these kids. Yeah. (laughs) Even after they give him the bird, he tricks him into like just continuing with his plan to straight up murk these children. Yeah. I mean, he he went from a white collar crime to (laughs) murder pretty quick. (laughs) Murder of children. Yeah. Didn't even think about it either. Oh, and he's Vander also Kate. betrayed Halle Berry at this point, too. How do you do that to Sharon Stone? Yeah, she's all excited about going away on their trip together, and then he really he like kind of lets it go that it's only him going. So Barney sets off to save the kids while Fred, I believe, tries to destroy the machine. And again, this whole like Rube Goldberg thing they got set up is kind of what he's like his investors are looking to build, right? Like this is the assembly yeah. or production line. Yeah, it's the production line so they can make houses. Yes. Super fast, super cheap. Yeah. Oh, but they're going to be like these tiny modular homes. Yeah. People don't want that. No. Uh, But Barney's getting thrown around by levers and shit trying to rescue these kids. Uh, Fred, meanwhile, trying to uh, kill this machine. Cliff gets knocked out by Halle Berry because, again, we didn't mention the gun he had earlier. He's trying to shoot. (laughs) He's trying to shoot Fred and shit with this like weird ass slingshot gun thing, Uh, but does get knocked out. Even though Sharon Stone God damn. Even though Halle Berry, I can't keep calling her Sharon Stone. It's going to throw me off. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're both in Catwoman together. Uh, even yeah. though Halle Berry, uh, you know, there's this weird thing where she's she she seems to find Fred, like, cute or like him in that way, but also realizes that he's a family man and she's not going to, you know, interfere with that sort of stuff. So it just becomes like a mutual respect, I guess. 
yeah, she's like super endearing to him because he's got morals and he he loves his wife and he's got kids. Wait, fucking yes. whatever, you know, just. Yeah, her, her arc is very strange in this because she starts off clearly wanting to, you know, sabotage this company. And it, it, other than Fred's, I guess, generosity, he's not even really that no. nice. I just don't quite understand why she flips on the whole scheme so quickly. His lovable stupidity. Yeah, I mean, I guess just because being thrown under the bus by uh, Cliff there, maybe that's what causes her to, to flip sides. But either way, she helps him out. All is good. Um, and this is how concrete's made. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Didn't need this, by the way. I, I, there's a lot of things that, I, again, it's it's just best not to think about the semantics of this world. <laughs> like when they're on the, the pterodactyl plane at the beginning and they're like, over your shoulder here, you'll see the Grand Canyon, which will be there in, in four like... million years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. It's like, like what? what? <laughs> they okay. also mentioned that there's only 4,000 people on the entire planet yep. at one point, <laughs> but the prequel takes them to Las Vegas, so. Oh. Again, don't fucking think about it. I can't even remember necessarily how this concrete gets mixed, uh, he, but yeah, uh, somehow. The, the... Yeah, I don't. He like breaks a dam or something like that, and there's a a big mudslide. Oh yes, and the water gets mixed in. Yeah, yeah. Either way, they create a concrete, and it's a fucking game changer. Um, so not only is Fred asked to be promoted, like, hey, you can absolutely be the VP of this company that you just brought us this invention. This is insane. We love this. Says you know, head of Slate and Co. But because, you know, the Flintstones realize the, the power of corruption, the, you know, the, the corrupt nature of money, rather. Yeah. Capitalism. They decide, no, yeah, I just want my old job back. This is Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. I don't want to be president of the division. I just want my old job, my old life back, my old friend back. Instead of just, I don't know, accepting the job and not turning into an asshole, you can still be, you can still do all the things you want to do. He does negotiate for everyone pay raises vacation time nice um something in the break room i like ketchup. Oh, ketchup packets in the break room ketchup packets in the break room. hilarious again like you know he he takes he takes comfort in just being sort of a schmuck yeah or just like you a know, working class joe yeah which is fine uh whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah this plot, yeah, it's like this. these plots that I see in a lot of movies, which, again, I, I completely appreciate what they're going for, but whenever they do this in, like, a big Hollywood movie, it's like, you fucking assholes. <laughs> Just talking down to everyone else yeah. watching this movie. Like, you should be you. okay making minimum wage. You should, be, <laughs> you should accept that. You, dude. Uh, <laughs> but either way, um, they so then, yeah, this is also another weird bit of, of meta because they start the – the movie after doing that theme song of then like pulling into the, the drive, the drive in theater, like they do in the anime mm-hmm. show. And then the movie essentially starts. So now here they're leaving the theater. Um, and we kind of get an outro essentially of that theme head home to the old show ending where, you know, he's thrown outside uh, and he starts, you know, like hammering on the door, begging Wilma to let him back inside. Which again, I, you know what? And on a high note, that's something I appreciated in the beginning, something I appreciate at the end. And it ends with a uh, no dinosaurs were harmed in the making of this movie tag, which is just, it's funny. And also a B-52 remix of the Flintstones theme. Oh, um, which we shit, forgot did we forget the B-52s? The B-52s make a cameo appearance. They wrote like three songs or something, two or three songs for this movie. Yeah. The Bedrock Twist. And they're, they're in this movie performing the Bedrock Twist. <laughs> as the bc 52s which again 
just just we couldn't even dig into all the rock puns i mean <laughs> oh there we go yeah, i mean yeah uh yeah they did two songs they did that and then they do of course the theme song of the flintstones there as well but yeah that is that's the movie the flintstones uh yeah. gosh what a fever dream yeah you want me to start yeah you can start man you know what in an unprecedented move i actually saved a, a critic review <laughs> that i liked from this movie i did a little wow. bit of prep work yeah unprecedented okay <laughs> Okay. Um, this is from Karen James from the New York Times. Uh, she wrote this back on August 30th, 2004. So a retrospective <laughs> review. Nice. Okay. Yeah, a retrospective review. Um, and I I appreciated this review because, again, what was it on Rotten Tomatoes? Like a 30 20, or something a bad? 20%. 20. 20. I mean, it got fucking crushed. This was a positive review written by Karen James from the New York Times. While the movie may act like a mandolin for television-obsessed baby boomers, it works even better as a colorful playland that will appeal to small children. And, you know, so many times on this podcast, we, Brandon, you and I talk about who is this movie for because it 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 gets so muddled and confusing sometimes as far as, you know, it, it, there's too many kids' jokes, not enough adult jokes, or there's too many adult jokes that shouldn't be in a kids movie i think this movie when it came out specifically was in a very unique position to appeal to both audiences i think you know kids loved it because it was a cartoon and there were dinosaurs and you know funny bowling scenes and bullshit like that but this was also a cartoon that baby boomers grew up on mm. i mean this is an old fucking cartoon mm-hmm. So it, it, there was a chance to appeal to more than one audience. And I think this movie, while the plot definitely is not perfect, far from perfect, it's weird and crazy. I think this movie does a remarkable job at appealing to a wide audience because there's shit that everybody loves in it. There's stupid dinosaur jokes and like funny, you know, physical humor in it that kids are going to love. But it's raunchy and it's a bit more complicated than it seems. And I think baby boomers probably appreciated that a lot when it came out, that they saw something that they grew up watching and it was made for them now as an adult live action film. So I really appreciated that from this movie. And I I, I think it gets a bad rep just because, yeah, the the plot is convoluted and weird and not and not great and it does kind of shit all over the main character a little bit but i think it, it it's not as bad as people said it was and you take all the other things in this movie the casting the performances i don't think anybody really has that bad of a performance maybe rosie o'donnell but um the set is unfucking believable it leans into the source material i really do believe that this is a misunderstood movie and God damn it, as someone watched it as a kid and enjoyed it as a kid over and over again, I fucking found a lot of enjoyment out of it as an adult. I, I can't say there was one point in this movie where I was super bored. Maybe just one of the like three montages that we end up getting. But it was funny and different enough to keep my attention the whole time. <laughs> so I, I really, I think this movie gets a bad rep. I think it's a lot better than what critics said it was back when it came out. And I think if you were nostalgic about it or you watched it as a kid, absolutely give this another fucking watch because it's like watching an entirely different movie. 
than when you were a child. <laughs> it, it, it's completely a different movie. And while it's not perfect, get far from it, I think it's good. I think this is a genuinely good movie. I'm giving this movie a 70% Brandon. I think Holy shit. This movie was fucking, I, I think it was worth a watch and I'm really glad we watched it. I can't believe how much I enjoyed it. I fucking fully expected to think this was absolutely asinine, but I think if you take it at face value for what it is, I think it's remarkably well made. <laughs> Dude, a 50% discrepancy. That is outrage. That's crazy. I, I know. It's crazy, I especially it. coming from me. I'm from definitely you, yeah. more of this. I'm more of the cynic on this show. Yeah. But I, I truly believe that this movie was misunderstood. And I think, it again, if you just fucking set your expectations that you are coming in to see essentially a fever dream, mm. I think this movie is worth the watch. And I, I really do think people of all ages could get enjoyment out of it. And you don't see that very often on this show. I uh, I definitely agree that this is better than I think what critics had uh, stated back in 94. I think it's a movie that does fit in a bit better now with our current film landscape than it did back then. And, and while I will say that it, it could have been, this could have been interpreted as, yeah, like a misunderstood movie. I do find a lot of enjoyment specifically out of the two leads. I think John Goodman and Rick Moranis are great here, particularly John Goodman. Kyle MacLachlan, as we stated, always a, a welcome sight on film. I, I do think this is a well-cast film. We mentioned it before, but God damn it, the sets, the prop design here, above That's and beyond. Astounding. I think it does so much work to try to build this world that once you're maybe five, ten minutes into this movie, you completely understand where it's going and sort of once you're locked in, I feel like, yeah, you can have a really good time. Specifically, I think if you had some drinks or some green, make it all go down a little bit smoother. Oh, yeah. If I had to go back and do it differently, I, I probably would have had a little grasp before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First off, one of the best TV film to movie adaptations around. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's hard to say because one, this is a, that's a genre that's just honestly usually pretty terrible. I think this is the best <laughs> Hanna-Barbera turn film adaptation, despite it being probably the lowest on Rotten Tomatoes or one of the lowest. And while I do find the plot sadly a bit too complex for kids, I feel like where they go with the narrative turns into something that I, I just worry won't necessarily intrigue kids, but also is just not what I think of when I think of the Flintstones. Um, while I do... Always think of that, you know, the nuclear family, that whole, you know, coming home from a nine to five job and the, you know, the pain in the ass the workday was. Where they go with the embezzlement and, you know, company scheming and things like that is a bit weird. But I think they keep the tone light. They keep it moving pretty quickly. And thankfully, this doesn't overstay its welcome. Ah, oh, gosh, I can't go far as far as a 70, but I do. 20% is far too low. I think this is a movie that if you do have nostalgia for, Definitely give it a revisit because, as you said, Zach, I think this is a movie that changes over time. And I feel like revisiting it as an adult could give you a new perspective on maybe, I don't even know if this is what they were going for, but how the film kind of holds up today is this truly bizarre fever dream of like a live action, you know, cartoon. It really is a live action cartoon. Um, so I'm going to give it a, I'll give it a 45. I thought it was, you know, something that I'll, I'll probably end up watching again sometime. Wouldn't, you know, bemoan anyone from saying this is, you know, one of their favorites from childhood anymore. I feel like this movie has had such a bad reputation over the years uh, and undeservedly so. I, I feel like this is a movie that people really pegged incorrectly back in the day. And while it's not a great movie and will not hold up for many people, I think the people who if you're in line with the weird tone this thing's giving you, 
um, yeah, you can sit back, relax, and have a good time because I, I genuinely enjoy this way more than I thought. I thought this was going to be a fucking slog, and I walked out of it thinking like, yeah, that was dumb, but I had fun. Yeah, I d- totally agree. I, I just, you know, you look at how much effort was put into that movie in terms of the set and the props and the costumes and and really kind of just how they really understood that they're adopting something and they want to make it fucking goofy. And I, I think they just do a really good job. You don't see that kind of shit anymore. If this movie gets made today, it's probably a little bit more self-serious. It's probably oh, definitely. all fucking CGI. None of these sets are making it into the... It's too fucking expensive and time-consuming. They need to pump this shit out and get mm-hmm. sequels going. So... Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I just, I, it's, it's such a good time capsule of the effort that they used to put into movies like this, and I, I just, I yeah. find an appreciation for that. No, I completely understand. I think, I think we as a movie going audience has have really forgotten the enjoyment of camp, like how yeah. fun campy movies used to be. Like we don't do those movies anymore, and if we do, they're the fucking, you know micro budgeted shit you'd find on some random streaming service or someone's told you about like, Oh, you should see this movie cause it's so fun or this or that. Like we right. wouldn't give this movie 45, $50 million today. That just simply doesn't exist. No, yeah. it's a shame. Cause it, I, I did have a lot, dude, that fucking Flintstone pig puppet. I'll remember for the rest of my I, life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I like everything from like the, how they make like the TV look prehistoric. Like it, it's just, just, it's creative. I it, it's not original because it's obviously an adaptation, but just so much of this movie, you could tell people put a lot of thought and a lot of effort into it. And you know, I I feel like it's just so easy now to be like, well, we'll just you know, we'll make it in post or we'll we'll create CGI effects for it. I don't fucking want that anymore. So I I I really enjoyed it. I you know, the plot is what it is. <laughs> it's 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 a shitty plot. I don't think anybody will disagree with that. But between the cast and everything else going on in this movie, it's it's hard to come by now. So maybe that's where I'm getting a lot of appreciation for it. Maybe that's nostalgia, Brandon. I think it's just one of those few movies, yeah, that just work a little bit better now. And so I'm glad we revisited it because honestly, I just feel like this is a movie that has been left by the wayside. And I think a lot of people could get a lot of more, a lot more appreciation out of it. Uh, much like you did, you know what I mean? Yeah. I hope I get as much appreciation out of the movie next week. We'll get to that in a second, Brandon. I'm sure there are at least one movie that you would like to talk about uh, that you might have saw in this week. Yes, well, I did see, first off, I'll talk about Fresh real quick. That's on Hulu. Um, definitely mm-hmm. worth the watch. It's with Sebastian Stans. I don't want to give away what it turns into, but it starts off like a romantic comedy and then turns into sort of a horror movie, but I, I don't want to get into how or why, but it's definitely worth the watch. Pretty fun. Interesting. Um, and then, yeah, yeah I cool. did check out The Batman, starring NBD's favorite, <sighs> Paul Dano. <laughs> I, God, I love Paul Dano so fucking much. I have not seen this movie yet, Brandon. I was going to see it this weekend and then just, you know, but um obviously fucking that's the talk of the town right now is paul dano perfect is he he's phenomenal. amazing yeah i loved him yeah. i love colin farrell i wish we got more of him honestly as penguin um but yeah. i'm yeah i i'm all in on if this is just a one and done cool awesome just glad to see this yeah. version of gotham and to, again we already we talked about how or we've talked about agnosium as have other podcasts about the dark knight and chris nolan's trilogy and how 
sort of redefined the genre, and it's one of my favorites still today, how it just really managed mm-hmm. to make sort of a grounded, you know, reality. This one goes, you know, even one step further where they're really interested in, if you count the minutes in the movie, by the way, three hours long, but if out of this three hour yeah. long movie, you count the minutes that Robert Pattinson is Bruce Wayne without any sort of Batman attire on, it's like 20 minutes tops. He's barely, he's barely <laughs> Bruce Wayne in the movie, which is great. Like, I love that this is a movie where he's yeah. in fucking Batman almost the entire movie. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's fucking sweet. Yeah, I think you'll really dig it. And it's a movie that, uh, yeah, if they do more, you know, if they, they set up the world where they could continue. But again, if it's a one and done, even better. <laughs> well, that fucking, that weirdo whose name I can never remember, but he was, um, he was in that Fantastic oh, Beast movie. And he oh, was Killing of a Sacred Deer, right? Yeah, Barry Keoghan. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah they're setting him up he as was teased. Yeah. He was teased as the Joker. So Because yep. you never see the Joker, but apparently that's his voice like laughing or something in Arkham. Yep, yep. And it's like, um, all right, yeah, you could go there if you wanted. But again, I'm, I'm fine if they leave it as a one and done. Oh, God, I can't wait. I just wish Paul Dano wasn't doing the whole thing where he's like, I have nightmares from playing the Riddler. Like, just play a Batman villain and like fucking... <laughs> Just accept that it was a job and you got paid for it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I, think no, I, saw, I think I saw that where someone tweeted out something about how well, Paul Dano says he got nightmares from playing the Riddler and Zoe, Zoe Kravitz, you know, drank milk out of a bowl to, you know, to get into Catwoman. And Robert Pattinson's just like, I can't even fucking remember what the movie is. <laughs> yeah. Fucking amazing. I love that guy. I, you know, he got a bad rap for playing for being in Twilight, but that guy's fucking awesome. Yeah, I got. I've come. I've one eighty'd on him and Kristen Stewart. Honestly, like they're both pretty, pretty good actors of, the, of yeah. their generations. Anyway, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so. Definitely worth watch if you haven't seen it yet. You'll yeah, um, I haven't really watched anything new, although I am just getting into a show that uh, I think the fourth season is premiering on uh, Prime Video right now. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is so fucking good. Oh, it's so good. That's the one where she's like a comedian, yeah, right? She's a comedian in in the oh, okay, uh, very okay. early fifties, maybe even late forties. But um, it, it it's worth every Emmy nod that it's gotten. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say everyone says it's great. I highly, highly recommend it. It's it's fucking hysterical. It's really, really good. Speaking of set design, it, it's it's crazy. It's like watching the 40s like off of a newsreel it's wild marvelous mrs Maisel. that's my only recommendation let's get into next week though watch the batman and marvelous mrs Maisel. <laughs> those yeah. are our two wrecks for the week and also watch a movie <laughs> yeah and also watch next week's which is just on par with both of those things both of those award-winning potential yeah if you mix <laughs> both of those together <laughs> you'll get this movie yeah yeah Oh, oh gosh. Um, I don't know. Is this streaming anywhere, Zach? I can't remember. I know we found it streaming HBO Max. Oh. It's on HBO Max. So, yeah, Max. if you want to watch before the episode drops, feel free to check that out on HBO Max. We're traveling back to the year of 2002, I believe, for, I would say, and this is no stretch of the word, I think this is a fucking box office phenomenon. One of the few independent films we've covered on the show. I think the only one we did was Napoleon Blair Witch Dynamite. Project. And Napoleon Dynamite 2, another one. Yep. Yeah, yeah those movies were micro budgets and they just fucking take the world by storm. We're watching my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> I'm so fucking excited. Dude. Oh gosh. Yeah. We don't do too many rom-coms on the show too. So it's good to switch it up every once in a while. And yeah, this was like the one back in two th- in the early two thousands that everyone fucking talked about and um, was heavily satired in the film date movie. 
which we'll probably also get into because it's Zach's favorite film. The fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> That's a bullet to the head. Well, thanks everyone for listening and um, hope you listen to uh, more future episodes. So that means uh, subscribe. If you haven't, uh, it'd be greatly appreciated on any uh, app where you do download the podcast. We're on most of them, you know, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, most of the big ones. And you can always find us on our original hosted site, which is nbd.podbean.com. You can also write us an email at nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com. We love feedback. We ignore it, but we we love it. (laughs) Yeah, drop us a line on uh, Twitter or on Instagram if you like as well. And again, thanks for listening. Um, Hope everyone has a good week. Stay safe. (laughs) Let's go! It is! Right!